Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this series, Pastor Chad Gilligan talks about things that affect us in our everyday lives. Listen as he teaches us how to live in light of what Christ has done for us in this series called Real Life Stuff. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 and in Ephesians 5, starting a new series of messages that we are calling Real Life Stuff. And we're going to talk about the things that we deal with in everyday life. Um, I was probably... I'm guessing about seven, maybe eight years old. And there, were, there were four or five of us in our neighborhood that hung out together, lived you know, within the span of about, I don't know, four or five different houses, and we were all about the same age, and so we'd hang out a lot. And a couple of the guys um, had learned at a very early age from their parents how to cuss. It was uh, a skill that they had acquired. Um, I was not trained in that way in my home, and uh, so I learned from those guys. And my grandma had a, had a crab apple tree. She lived right next door. We lived next door to my grandma, and uh, she had a crab apple tree out in the front. And I remember one day we were out there, we were climbing that tree and uh, throwing apples at each other because my grandma didn't know we were doing that. And um, I remember getting hit by one of those apples. And I decided in this split second, I'm going to try one of these words that I learned from my friends. <laughs> it felt great. Man, I, I said that word. And in that moment, I kind of, Kind of felt like a man. <laughs> Had this kind of, man, I told them. I showed them. And so over the course of our little crab apple fight, I tried out a couple of those words. Now I'm not talking hardcore cuss words. This was entry-level stuff, but it was new to me, right? <laughs> and um, I remember that it kind of in the midst of that, one of these guys who, who I'd learned the words from looked over at me and said, wonder what your grandma's going to think when she hears you saying that. And all of a sudden, I realized that our words have tremendous power. And that was when I stopped using those words in my grandma's front yard. (laughs) Or at all, for that matter, right? In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks to us, not just about theology, but about real-life stuff. He talks to us about how we live our lives in light of what Christ has done for us. Four times in chapters four and five, he talks very specifically about our words, in particular about words that he says we should not use. And we're gonna talk about our words today. We're gonna talk about what it means for us to to watch our mouths and to be careful what we say because our words in so many ways are a fundamental part of who we are. They define who we are. We were in a, in a store one day this week um, and you know the, all the shelves are kind of crammed together after Christmas and so there were these different displays and about three or four displays over, I could hear this guy talking. I didn't see him, I've never met him, but I could tell you an awful lot about him just by the word choices he used in public. Does that make sense? Our words define us. They say who we are. Our words matter. So before we jump into the book of Ephesians, I want to give you just a quick snapshot of some other things that the Bible says, in particular in James chapter 3. So you might want to turn there as well. Hold your place in Ephesians. We're going to be James chapter 3 for just a couple of minutes and talk about some things, why our words matter. Let me give you five reasons this morning, very briefly, why our words matter. James, he, he, in his description of this, which is kind of the classic passage on how our mouths are so powerful, he personifies the tongue. 
He speaks of the tongue as if it's in and of itself a thing that we have in our possession. And as he speaks about the tongue, there's some things that he says. Five things I want you to see about why our words matter. Number one, your little tongue is a big deal. Number one, your little tongue is a big deal. James talks about the fact that this small part of our body has control, it has incredible potential, it has the power to do all kinds of things. Now we know from Genesis chapter one that that the words that we speak have tremendous power. When God created the universe, what did he do? He spoke it into existence, right? So our words have tremendous power. Here's what James says, James chapter three, verse two, about our tongues. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Anybody here perfect today? No, because our our tongues, they have incredible potential. They have incredible power. They affect our whole body, which then takes us to number two. The second thing I want you to see about your, your words today, number two, your little tongue is tough to control. Not only is your little tongue a big deal, but your little tongue is tough to control. With all of the abilities that we have, with all of the skills that we can develop, James says that the words that we speak can be so unruly to us. Look at this, James chapter three, verse seven. He says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil filled with deadly poison. Isn't that a description? It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Your little tongue is tough to control. There are those moments of emotion, and we've already talked about it in the last few weeks, especially in those moments of anger, when the words that we say have such tremendous potential to do things that can can be tough to control. I've said things in a moment of emotion that have ruined my day, that have strained relationships, and that have changed lives, because your tongue is tough to control. Anybody else or just me? Okay, third thing, number three. Your little tongue can start big trouble. Your little tongue can start big trouble. Those little words that we speak have the potential to have devastating, catastrophic results if we're not careful about how they're expressed. Your little tongue can start big trouble. James chapter three, verse three, look at what he says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Strong words, right? Because your little tongue can create a spark that can start a fire. He says, not a a healthy fire. One, he says, that, that, that comes straight from hell that can have devastating consequences and results. Have you ever said something and then immediately said, boy, I wish I could take that back. I wish I had a rewind feature, but I don't have it. Your little tongue can start big trouble But know this too, number four, your little tongue can make a big difference. 
Your little tongue, the words that you say, can make a big difference in people's lives. This is a biblical principle. Not only are our words devastating, potentially, but they are transformative, potentially, for the good in people's lives. Look, when you speak a word of blessing, when you speak a word of encouragement, it has incredible power. I mean, this goes all the way to God himself. If you think about Jesus at his baptism, we'll, we'll look at this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went went up out of the water at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased there is something powerful for us to consider there that when god wanted to give his affirmation on his son at this pivotal moment in his life he publicly spoke a physical word of blessing. There was this voice from heaven. The words that you speak not only have the power to light a fire that's destructive, but they can stir something in someone's soul that's so creative, that's so meaningful, that's powerful. Look at this, Hebrews chapter three, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you see that? That when you speak words of blessing, when you encourage one another, it has the potential literally to soften another person's heart. It can change someone's heart so that their heart is not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Your words of positive blessing and encouragement, as we'll see here as we get into this in just a moment, have incredible, powerful, positive potential. Your little tongue can make a big difference. Fifth thing, last thing I want you to see today about why words matter. Number five, your little tongue reveals your heart. Your little tongue reveals your heart. James says this, James chapter three, verse nine. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What he's saying is what is in your heart are the words that come out. And if you have nasty in your heart, then nasty will come out your mouth. Your little tongue reveals your heart. Luke chapter six, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Ouch. So your words matter. They make a big difference, and they betray who you really are. They reveal your heart. So four times in Ephesians chapter four and chapter five, Paul talks to us about our words, in particular words that he says we should not use, words that we should avoid. And I think this is really interesting because this must have been an issue in the early church. There must have been something about the way they were speaking to each other, the way that they were talking to one another, the way that their words needed to be changed because of what Christ was doing in their lives. This must have been an issue that he needed to address, and so he speaks about it. And in these verses, Paul gives to us four kinds of words to avoid. He gives us four kinds of words. We're gonna look at four different verses in these two chapters. Four kinds of words that we need to avoid and he was dealing with an issue in the early church, and I would, I would challenge you that it's probably an issue that we have to deal with in our lives as well. And, I, and I'll talk to you kind of about why. Have you ever noticed that if somebody joins a team, 
they, they change the way that they live in a certain way. Let's say you make the team, you make the basketball team, you make the football team, then all of a sudden your life's a little bit different. Your priorities change a little bit. You, um, you go to practices, and the coach lays out guidelines for the team, standards that the team needs to live up to, in the way that they eat maybe, in the way that they exercise, in the way that they sleep, in the things that they avoid. And when you get on the team, it changes the way that you look. You even dress a little bit differently. You, you'll wear your team colors, you wear that jersey at different times. There's an away game, you may get dressed up so you can go to that game. That just is the way that the team rolls. With the team, there are expectations that you'll live in a certain way. We, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have joined God's team, true? And if that's the case, then as a member of his team, it changes the way that we live. This is Paul's whole contention that he makes with the church in Ephesus as he talks to them, not just about theology, but about practical living. We looked at this several weeks ago. If Jesus Christ has changed you, then your life should be changed. If he's made a difference in your life, then your life should be different. And that is critical, Paul says, to an early church who needed to hear it in their words. And what he says to them over and over again in this chapter is, look, if you are a part of the team, then that's going to change the way that you live. You're going to live based on the guidelines of the team. And he says this to them. He says over and over again, you need to stop that and you need to start this. You need to stop living according to the standards of the world and start living according to God's standards. Not because it's religion, not because these are rules that you're forced to keep, but because it's transformation. Because if you're a part of a team, you want to live based on the standards of that team. So he says to them, look, if Jesus Christ has changed you, then your life should be changed. Here's four kinds of words to avoid. Here's the first one. Number one, false words. Paul says we are to avoid false words, words that just aren't true. Avoid false words. Here's how he says it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Change those words. Words that you are speaking that aren't true, words that are false, words that are, you could call them lies, you could call them stretching the truth, you could call it words that are exaggeration, you could define it in a lot of different ways. But if there's words coming out of your mouth that aren't true, Paul says, stop speaking those false words and start speaking truth. This goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It's there all throughout Scripture. Look, don't lie. It's one of the things that, that we teach our children as early as possible. If, if you're a parent, do you remember that time when your, your child kind of figured out for the first time, hey, I don't always have to tell the truth. There's that kind of moment and as a parent, you're like, look, I've got to, I've got to deal with this. Because if, if we develop this practice or this habit in our home of not telling the truth, it has devastating consequences. Look, you have to deal with these false words that come. Now, as kids, it's easy. When you say, who broke that? And they say, not me, and you watched them do it. You know that's not true. As adults, those lines aren't as clear. Have you ever heard of gossip? You ever heard of slander? You ever heard of language that we say about other people that just isn't true? Sometimes we say things without any regard for what might be true. We just look at a situation and we don't think about what it's like from the other person's perspective. We don't find out the details. We just say, well, I think this. And as soon as we say it, we've put it out there. Sometimes we just don't say what's true. Sometimes we bend the truth to fit our purposes a little bit. I'm not lying. I'm just not, you know, I'm just not 
telling the truth. Why do, why do we do that? Sometimes I think we do it because we're trying to raise up the impression that other people have of us. We, we, we say what isn't true or we kind of we fudge on the truth a little bit. We don't speak the whole truth because we want to raise up the impression that somebody else has. Because if I tell you everything or if I just change this little detail a little bit, you'll think more of me than what you, you might think. Sometimes it's to raise up that impression. Sometimes it's to cover up something. It's so that you don't find out the truth about me. So I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna use true words. I'm gonna use some false words because I wanna cover something up. Sometimes it's to raise up. Sometimes it's to cover up. Sometimes it's just to mess up another person's reputation. Sometimes we say something about someone else because we wanna change the way that someone thinks of them or because we have a disregard for them or we're just not telling the truth about them. But whether you speak words that are false to raise up, cover up, or mess up, doesn't it always blow up on you at some point? Those false words always catch up to you at some point. And when they blow up and catch up, you have a mess on your hands. That's why Paul says to put falsehood away. What does he say we should do? False words should be replaced with words of truth. False words, those false words that we're tempted to speak need to be replaced with words of truth. And it's interesting, he says, why? Because we're all members of one body. And what happens is when those false words come in, they have destructive ramifications on our relationships. There's betrayal that happens in families when lies are told. There's disruption that comes to churches when gossip spreads. False words have destructive ramifications. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18, listen to this. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. That's terrible, isn't it? Flaming arrows of death. Is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Be careful with your words and what you speak. Now we'll talk about humor in just a couple of minutes. I don't think there's anything wrong with a, with a healthy prank from time to time, but when you're trying to deceive somebody, do you know what you're doing? You're shooting flaming arrows of death into that situation. Falsehood brings disunity, disorder, and trouble. And it, it could be easy for us to go, look, I don't lie, I don't tell lies, I tell people the truth. But at any point, are you trying to cover up? Are you trying to raise up? Are you trying to mess up? Because it will blow up and catch up and then you will have a real mess on your hands. Paul says, get rid of those false words and instead replace them with words of truth. First kind of word he tells us to avoid. Let me give you the second kind. Number two, he tells us to avoid rotten words. Number two, to avoid rotten words. Now, that, that's not the word you're gonna find in, in your translation of the scriptures, most likely. But the word that he uses here has this context and this connotation. Every, every place I look, it, it, it uses the word unwholesome, what we'll look at here in a moment. But it has the idea of something that is rotten or something that spreads rottenness. Have you ever like cut into a piece of fruit, let's just say, and when you do, it's nasty inside? Have you ever had that happen? And you get that like kind of feeling inside. You, know, you, you open up a banana and it's all inside. You're like, I don't want that. This was a word that was used to describe rotten fruit, used to describe rotten fish. Does that put an image in your nose? 
This is the word that he's talking about here. So look at what he says. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome, or the word is rotten, or that which causes rottenness to spread, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let rotten words come out of your mouth. Worthless is another way that you could translate that like bad fruit, rotten fish. The only place that this word is used in the New Testament when it's not dealing with the material decomposition of something, something that's decaying and dying, is this verse where Paul says, look, don't let these nasty, gnarly, rotten words come out of your mouth. What kind of words do we speak? Are they life-giving or are they unwholesome? Are they rotten? Now, let me, um, let me distinguish something for just a moment because we just talked in the first part about false words, that we need to speak words that are true. But I can tell you this. I've known people who have spoken words that are words of truth, but they do it with an attitude or a spirit of themselves that as they speak those words, they're actually rotten coming out of their mouths even though they're true. Does that make sense? It is possible for words to be accurate and true and still be rotten at the same time. I've heard the right things from the wrong people. I've had them say words of truth to me, but they say it with such a spirit of, I don't know, rottenness, that those words do not bring life. And this is important for us to think about because how we speak those words and what words we speak to others have tremendous power. Paul says, look, don't let words come out of your mouth. They're gonna breed rottenness in situations. Now that's challenging for us because in our culture, and we've talked about this before, in a culture of 24-hour news cycles and in a culture of talk radio and in a culture of constant criticism on the internet, everywhere we turn, we read something where words are being used to bring things down, to tear people down. There's a constant stream of negativity and we have to make sure that we do not let truth get to a point where it becomes rotten and that rottenness comes out of us. We cannot talk without it having some kind of positive effect because remember, you're not on the same team you used to be on anymore. As Christians, we're different. We speak, Paul says, not just words that are true, but we speak wholesome words, life-giving words that come out of our mouths. He says, things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's what Christians do. They speak words that will benefit others. Now, that does not mean that we do not speak hard truth. As a parent, just because we love our kids, does that mean we never discipline them? If somebody needs to hear a word of hard truth, if we need to speak something that is challenging or confrontational, we can still speak that truth. Just be careful that it's not rotten as it comes out of our mouths. We need to be wise about this. Rotten words should be replaced with words of life. It's what Christians do. God uses us to speak words from him to others, words that are life-giving, words that can change others. Rotten words should be replaced with words of life. I'm not sure if any of you would know um, Harold and Margaret Bellotta. They typically uh, attend the 1130 service here at Calvary. And um, Pastor Bellotta pastored the church in Dundee, Michigan for 40 years before his retirement. And uh, the Baladas are two of the kindest people I've ever known. And um, on Friday, on New Year's Day, 
um, Pastor Bellotta passed away and is now in the presence of Jesus. And uh, I talked to his son yesterday, and I was just reminded of what a impact he had on my life with his words. I haven't known him real long since their retirement. They've frequently attended Calvary. But I was never in Pastor Bellotta's presence that he didn't speak a word of encouragement to me. Now, on a couple of occasions, he spoke real words of challenge to me. I remember one time in particular when he kind of got in my face. But when he did, he did it with love. He did it with encouragement. He did it with life. Every so often, I could count on it several times a year, I, I would get a, a letter or a card from Pastor Bellotta. He had beautiful handwriting. And he would just write words of scripture. He would write words of encouragement. He would speak life through the words that he said and who he was. Especially yesterday, as I'm working on these notes and I'm thinking of his passing, what kind of words come out of my mouth? Words that give life or words that actually are, are rotten? Proverbs helps us. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Have you ever said somebody just say one thing to you and it changes your demeanor? makes a difference. A kind word can cheer you up. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? When God gives you the opportunity to speak the right word to a person at the right moment, those words are truly life-giving. I've already told you that, uh, that my grandma lived next door to our family when I was growing up. And so my cousin and I, who both lived kind of right there, we, uh, we spent a lot of time with my grandma. And I heard her say this verse countless times, Proverbs 25, 11. Here it is in the King James Version because that's, my, my grandma would have quoted the King James. She would say, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And I remember thinking, grandma, I have absolutely no idea what that means. What on earth are you talking about? I threw crab apples in your yard and gotten cussing, and so that's not a good analogy for me. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. What on earth does that mean? That means this. He is describing a fine piece of jewelry. That picture of silver is a fine piece of jewelry. And this craftsman has taken and has created these, these, these pictures of these apples of gold pictures of silver, words that are spoken at the right time in the right way have this tremendous potential to be a beautiful thing. Our words can make all the difference. We need to replace those rotten words in our life with words of life. Why? Remember what we read earlier, because your words reveal your heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Have you ever had that moment where you... Um, you decide, maybe I'll, I'll see what's in that container that's been in the back of the refrigerator since 2013. Do you know that moment? You pull that little thing out and you open the lid and inside you have a science experiment. It immediately grabs your eyes and your nose and blah, it's that moment. 
because what's inside of there was rotten. And there's just no value to it at that point. And there's moments when words will come out of our mouths and we'll just go, ooh, something rotten inside of me. I need to deal with that because I don't want rotten words. What I want, if I'm a part of God's team, is words of life to come out of me. Do our words matter? Look at what Jesus says next in verse 36. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Do your words matter? What do we avoid? Paul says avoid false words, avoid rotten words. Let me give you a third category, and this this may sound a little bit like uh, elementary school, but I think it's important for us to get. Number three, Paul says we need to avoid dirty words. We need to avoid dirty words. In every culture, there there is language that um, is just considered dirty, things that you really probably don't speak in in a proper sense. And I've noticed that more and more in our culture, dirty words are more and more acceptable. And Paul hits this with the church. He says, look, let me talk to you about the words that you speak. Ephesians chapter five, verse four. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Well, what does he mean by those different words? Let me just give you just some, some brief definitions. When he talks about obscenity, he's talking about filthy language. He's talking about words, on the one hand, that have kind of sexual overtones to them, and we're, we're gonna talk about that here in the next couple of weeks, but he's also talking about words that are just filthy, just, just language that's, that's, uh, that's dirty words, and every culture kind of defines what those are. When he talks about foolish talk, another way that you could translate that is stupid chatter. When you're just saying words that just make no sense or that aren't necessary. And he talks about coarse joking. It's inappropriate wit. It's when you say things that may be funny, but they're not the right things to be said. And Paul says, look, you need to avoid these dirty words. So let, let, me, let me help you with a couple of things as we kind of unpack this a little bit. What, what's he trying to say to us? One, one thing that I think is key is this. Paul is not saying that we can't be funny, but he is saying we should be holy. I've known people who just think that, that things like this means that they can't be funny and their spiritual gift is not the gift of humor. Do you know what I'm talking about? People who are just like, I don't, I don't even like being around them because they're just not fun. He's not saying you can't be funny, when he says coarse joking, what he's saying is that in our words, we need to remember to be holy. That that makes a difference in how we speak and what we say. And I think this is challenging for us because at some point, I'm pretty sure we're all guilty. Have you ever had that moment where something comes out of your mouth? You're like, that's funny. I shouldn't have said that. Probably wasn't the right thing to say. It's probably inappropriate. I need to think about that. I need, I need to have a filter that I run my words through because we're called to be different from the world. We are called to be different from the world. This is the whole point of the book of Ephesians. Look, your words are gonna mark you. They're gonna change who you are. So as you speak to those around you, and depending on the context that you're in, this becomes a difficult thing. You know, what you say at home and what you say in the locker room can be two very different things. 
what you would say in a business meeting and the words that you might use when you're talking with, with some of your friends at, at work in a more private setting, the words that come out, that's very different. And Paul says, look, there's, there's no situational thing that's here. He says, look, our words need to be words that are holy, words that are life-giving, words that are righteous. Those are the kinds of words that we need to speak powerfully He says that we're called to be different from the world. And this is key for us because when you became a follower of Christ, Paul says, you're on a different team now. You dress different. You live different. Your words are different. Romans chapter six, verse 21, Paul says, what benefit did you reap at that time, speaking of life before Christ, from the things you are now ashamed of, those things result in death. And I think our mouths are one of the places where this is so significant because the way I spoke before I knew Christ should be different from the way that I speak if Jesus is making a difference in my life. James chapter one, verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Our words need to reflect what Christ has done in our lives. And, and this leads us to something that's just, um, I think, really key for us. If you listen again to what he said, he said, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So can I I get on a little bit of a soapbox for just a minute? Is that okay? Can I do that? It's 8.30, you don't care. Um, Or 11.30, you do care. I don't know, but here's the deal. There are some words that should be out of place for the child of God. I I just wanna reinforce what Paul says here. There are some words that just should be out of place for the child of God. I I know more and more people, and maybe I'm a little old-fashioned, but I know more and more people who seem to think it's okay that we let more and more of the world's language into the way that we speak as believers. And if we're just, you know, maybe we're just talking to each other in the church or just Christians just kind of hanging out and my words aren't offending anybody or they're not bringing anybody down, then it's okay that I just say what I want or just speak my mind however I want to. And the truth is, there are some words that are just out of place for the believer because they, they hinder the testimony of who God is in our lives. It was hard for me to talk to my friends about Jesus under the crabapple tree when those words were coming out that were rotten and dirty. There's just some words that are out of place for the child of God. There's some words that, let's even take that another level, if if you're a leader, there's times and places where you're held to an even different standard, a higher standard, where you need to say, look, that's just, can I use that word? Sure, I can. Is it wise for me? Probably not. It's probably inappropriate for me to do that because, one, it's not necessary, and two, it, it affects the way that other people think of you, the way that other people view you. It, it's, a, it's a powerful thing for us to consider. As a child of God, there's just some words that are inappropriate. I was in a, I was in a group of uh, ministers several years back, pastors, guys from all over, not just some of God's pastors, but, but pastors from all kinds of different churches, denominations, fellowships, and we were sitting in this, in this room and there was a bunch of us that were kind of young guys and then there were several that were older guys, mentors that were in this place and... Um, as we were sitting there, one of the guys that was kind of doing the teaching, one of the mentors, started using some words that my mom told me I wasn't allowed to use. I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know you were allowed to say that. And it just caught me off guard. It just, just didn't seem right to me. It just, it just bugged me. 
I remember later, we were sitting in a circle, kind of a smaller group, and one of the other guys that was a mentor that was there, that that subject kind of came up. And he just looked at us and he just said, guys, look, as leaders in your role, you don't have to do that. It's just not necessary. It's just not who you are. Look, I know sometimes it just, it just feels good to use one of those words that Paul says isn't so good. We feel like we can't find another way to say it. But the truth is, like my friend said, as followers of Christ, as those who want to lead others to him, maybe we're better than that. Maybe we're called to a higher standard than that. Paul says, look, there are just some words they're out of place for the child of God. And here's what he says we should do in their place. Dirty words should be replaced with words of thanks. Dirty words should be replaced with words of thanks, which I think is an interesting observation because Paul does not say, hey, your obscenity, your crude joking, this inappropriate language, he doesn't say replace it with appropriate language. He doesn't say replace it with clean words. He says replace it with words of thanks. Why is that? Because gratitude has such incredible power to steer every other part of our person that when we speak words of thanks instead of those words that, that are inappropriate at times, it changes us. It makes a difference. Gratitude's power shapes who we are. Gratitude, when we're thankful instead of um, uh, the opposite of that, instead of just letting situations cause us to say words we shouldn't or joke in a way that's inappropriate, gratitude changes things for us. It has this kind of cleansing power. That what happens is so many times, I, I wear, uh, I wear, I wear contact lenses and, and oftentimes I wear my glasses when I'm at home and I have this I don't know how it happens I don't know when it happens it's just it's reality when I'm wearing my glasses all of a sudden I just realize they're filthy like I wasn't rubbing my fingers on the lenses but it sure looks like I was I mean it's just all smudged up they're just all messy and at some point I have to take a cloth or whatever and I have to clean those things off and then when I put them back on, I'm like, oh, I can see clearly now the smudge is gone, right? I mean, it's like, oh, wow, you're welcome. That's, um, that's, that's just this truth. If you drive through a messy part of town, if you drive in a dusty place, what happens is you get stuff caked on your windshield. What do you have to do? You have to clean that thing off so you can see. You know what gratitude does? Is it takes the smudges and it takes the dust and the dirt and the filth and it cleans it away so then we can see life more clearly. That's why Paul says, look, replace those dirty words with words of gratitude because gratitude then clears things up for you. It helps you to see things more clearly. I was reading a commentary this week, getting ready for this, and this was the, the, the comment that one of the commentators said, that ungodly desire comes from dissatisfaction with what we have, and thanksgiving creates satisfaction. So ungodly desire comes from dissatisfaction. But when I'm thankful, it creates satisfaction in me, and then I don't have to say or do or go after those same things that I did before. There is something powerful about gratitude. So he says, replace those dirty words with words of thanks. We've talked about false words. We've talked about rotten words. We've talked about dirty words. Let me give you one last category. Number four, just very briefly, because we'll actually come back to this in a couple of weeks. Number four, Paul talks about empty words. Number four, empty words. Ephesians chapter five, verse six. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, 
God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What's he talking about there? Let me give you a, a phrase that I think is, is really significant. Again, I, I was reading a commentary this week in, in preparing for this, and it said that Paul is speaking here against the propagandists of permissiveness. Interesting phrase. Let me, let me tell you what he means by that. The propagandists of permissiveness. That there were people who were coming into the church and who were saying, you know what? Jesus died for you. God is a God of great grace. He loves you. So it doesn't matter what you do. Forgiveness is available to you. You can, you can live however you want to live your life. Just live in his grace. Live in his forgiveness. And Paul's saying, look, that sounds really nice. And it's true that God's forgiveness is available to us. But if we're living just however we want and then thinking that there's no consequence, we're fooling ourselves. Paul says, you know what those are? Those are empty words. That if Jesus has changed you, then your life should be changed. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And what was happening is people were coming into the church and they were saying, look, you've accepted Christ or you've let Jesus come into your life. Now you can just live however you want because you have his forgiveness. And what happens is there's so many negative consequences that come from that. What God has said to us is, look, I've given you forgiveness and I've given you life. Now live in it. Live in a way that brings life Life and freedom and hope and truth to your life because it changes everything. Empty words should be replaced with words of scripture. And if your life is not lining up with the truths of scripture, then maybe it's a good time for you to reevaluate your life. Empty words, these words where we just say, I can live however I want, I can do whatever I want. They need to be replaced with the words of scripture in our lives. Here's my question for you today as we speak specifically about this topic. Do my words line up with God's word? Do my words line up with God's word? Does my life line up with God's word? And we've spoken today about the value and the importance, the truth that we must put words of truth and life and thanks and scripture into our hearts because it makes all the difference because at some point, we can talk the talk. The question is, am I actually living it out? Does my life truly reflect what Christ has done for me? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Is God's power at work in your life? Because if it is, that will change the way that you talk. I've done this long enough to know that there's one of two things going on here today. Um, either one, for the last 40 minutes I have bored you to death, or two, for the last 40 minutes God's word has been a mirror that has caused some of us to go, maybe I need to watch my mouth. Maybe I need to think about this. Am I speaking words of truth? Words of life, words of thanks. Do my words line up with the truths of scripture? How are you gonna do that? Because we live in a culture where words are so 
meaningless to so many people. They just throw them around like they don't matter. But it makes all the difference in our lives. Remember what Jesus said. Remember what James showed to us, that it's out of your heart that your mouth speaks. So if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart about your words for these last few moments, then maybe it's because the Holy Spirit isn't talking so much about your tongue but going back to your heart. And the only way that you're gonna have a change in your words you know, one of, one of, the, one of the hottest um, gifts for Christmas the last few years has been, a, has been a Keurig. Does anybody have one of those Keurigs, those things that you, you can make just like one cup of coffee with or one cup of whatever? And what you do is you open the little, if you're not familiar with them, it's this, you know, little, looks like R2-D2 just a little bit, and you open up the thing, and then you pop these little cups inside. They're these little K-cups, right? And you pop these little cups inside, and then you close it, and then you push the button, and the water gets heated up, and then it flows through this thing, and you can have, this one's hot chocolate, you can have coffee, this one's, you know, you know, tea, you can have all kinds of stuff. And then when the water flows through there, what comes out is what's, is what's here. And so if you want to, to drink whatever you want to drink, whether it's hot chocolate or if it's coffee, maybe decaf, whatever that is, what's important is that you put the right cup in there because when that water flows through there, that's what's gonna come out. So here's the deal. That water is like your life and it's gonna flow through something and then your words are gonna come out. This is your heart. So what you really need to evaluate if you have a question about your words is it's a matter of the heart. And so maybe what's really needing to be changed if you wanna speak words of truth and words of life and words of scripture and words of thanks is that it's gotta start with our hearts because when I need to change my words, first I need to say, Jesus, I need your help to change my heart because, because my heart's what my words flow through. That's what's gonna give my words their flavor. That's what's gonna leave a taste in somebody else's mouth based on what I say. God, would you help me to change my heart? And so on this first Sunday of 2016, there's probably no better place for us to start than with our words and with our hearts. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And I, I hope and pray that God's word has had effect by his spirit to speak to your heart to challenge you. And maybe in this moment, the best thing that you can do is to say, Jesus, I've got to start with my heart. Because out of what the heart is full of, the mouth speaks. And Lord, I know I need to change false words for true ones. I need to change rotten words for life-giving ones. I need to change those dirty words for words of thanks. And I don't want my words to just be empty. I want to live according to the words of Scripture. But it's got to start, Jesus, with you helping me to do a work in my heart. And as we close out, if you just say, Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart. Would you just raise your hand? God, would you do a work in my heart? that will affect my mouth and every other part of my life. What would you do a work in my heart? Anybody else, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Do you raise your hand? Put it right back down. God, would you do a work in my heart? It's going to affect my mouth. Lord, thanks for the way that your word speaks to us. Your creative word. Your life-giving word. Your saving word. And Lord, as we've evaluated our words, God, it shows a deficiency sometimes in our hearts. Lord, we want to replace those, those false words with ones that are true. 
So would you change our hearts? Lord, those unwholesome, worthless, rotten words that come out of us at times, God, would you change our heart to desire to speak words of life? Holy Spirit, you've you've convicted some of our hearts today about those words that just are out of place for us as a child of God, those dirty words. Father, help us instead to let gratitude, to let words of thanks change our perspective to see things more clearly. Lord, we don't want lives filled with empty words. But Lord, may our words line up with your word. May the words of scripture shape our lives. But God, it's gotta start with our hearts. So Lord, as we go into this week, as we go into this new year, Jesus, we open up our hearts to you. Would you, would you soften our hearts? Would you change our hearts? so that every part of us would represent who you are. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.